Hello friends, my name is Emily McGinley and I serve as the executive pastor at Urban Village Church. If you talk about me, you can use the pronouns she, her, and hers. Our passage today comes from Acts chapter 1, verses 15 through chapter 2, verse 1. Listen for what God is saying to you. During this time, the family of believers was a company of about 120 persons. Peter stood among them and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture that the Holy Spirit announced beforehand through David had to be fulfilled. This was the scripture concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. This happened even though he was one of us and received a share of this money. In fact, he bought a field with the payment he received for his injustice. Falling headfirst, he burst open in the middle and all of his intestines spilled out. This became known to everyone in Jerusalem, so they called that field in their own language Hakeldama, or Field of Blood. <clears throat> it is written in the Psalms scroll, Let his home become deserted, and let there be no one living in it, <clears throat> and give his position of leadership to another. Therefore, we must select one of those who have accompanied us during the whole time Jesus lived among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when Jesus was taken from us. This person must become, along with us, a a witness to his resurrection. And so they nominated two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. They prayed, Lord, you know everyone's deepest thoughts and desires. Show us clearly the one you have chosen from among these two to take the place of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned away to go to his own place. When they cast lots, the lot fell on Matthias, and so he was added to the eleven apostles. Please pray with me. God, we thank you for this time to lean into your word. And we ask that you would clear away those things that prevent us from hearing you or or seeing uh, what you are doing within us and around us so that we might be present and receptive to what it is that you would do within us and through us today. Speak through me because of me and in spite of me for the sake of your work in this world and among us together and in each of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things that I have noticed about my daughter over the years is that she always likes the villains in movies. Whether it's Ursula in The Little Mermaid, Killmonger in Black Panther, or Carmen Sandiego in, well, Carmen Sandiego, is she a villain? It happens almost without fail. And so it was not unusual that after watching Disney's recent Pan-Asian offering, Raya and the Last Dragon, it was Namari and not Raya who caught her attention and imagination. Now, at first, this preference for the bad guy was a little worrying. But then as I thought more about it, they often are the most interesting characters. Usually their story is much more textured and complex than the main character hero. This is true in many of today's stories, and to be honest, it was also true in our passage for today. Content warning, there will be a mention of suicide. What was read earlier is just one of only two places in scripture where we hear anything about what happens to Judas after he betrays Jesus. The other place is in Matthew 27, where it says, When Judas, who betrayed Jesus, saw that Jesus was condemned to die, he felt deep regret. He returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders and said, I did wrong because I betrayed an innocent man. But they said, what is that to us? That's your problem. Judas threw the silver pieces into the temple and left. Then he went 
and hanged himself. The chief priests picked up the silver pieces and said, According to the law, it's not right to put this money in the treasury. Since it was used to pay for someone's life, it is unclean. And so they decided to use it to buy the potter's field where the strangers could be buried. That's why that field is called Field of Blood to this very day. It's so important to read Acts 1 alongside this passage in Matthew, because if we don't, if all we remember about Judas and his story is through Peter's interpretation that God set it up this way, that Judas's betrayal and death were written into God's plan of salvation and necessary for the realization of God's purposes. And in fact, I remember folks who were part of my evangelical fellowship in college saying this exact same thing, that Judas's betrayal was necessary for Jesus to die. And this is a whole other conversation about um, and Bible study, so I'm not going to go into it too deep, but I'll say this. That is lazy theology and feeds directly into the very cultures and theologies of violence that led to Jesus' death, not to mention continue to destroy lives and bodies today. Nobody needs to die, but people do die. And the question for us is what are we going to do with that reality? And that's all I'm going to say about that. Judas does Jesus real dirty, and Jesus dies because of it. That is a fact. But if that's where we leave it, and if we then build the church, which is exactly what Peter is doing in this moment. Jesus told Peter, you are the rock upon which I will build my church, which means that Peter is, in this moment, laying the theological foundations for the community. And if we build the church on a whole logic and theology that supports a punishment like what Peter is describing, then what is the church but more of the same? You get what you deserve. Judas is trash, and he deserves to be thrown out. He is bad, and we are good, blah, blah, blah. But when you read this speech in Acts, together with Matthew 27, we get way more angles for understanding not only Judas, but also Peter, and what God's plan of salvation really looks like. Because what we see in Matthew 27 isn't a no-good, low-down snitch So much as someone who was in way over their head with authorities who exploited his shortcomings and then discarded him when he was no longer needed and then had the audacity to tell him that it was all his fault. But also, before that, we're reminded just before this in Matthew 26 that for all of his speeching in Acts 1, Peter is no saint himself. While Judas sold Jesus out, Peter acted like he never knew the man when Jesus was at his lowest point. Ain't nobody got clean hands in this. So then here we are. We have two men who really messed up, betraying their friend and their community. How do you even come back from that? Well, in a lot of ways, this is the exact dilemma that we see in the movie Raya and the Last Dragon. We've been in this sermon series, Popcorn Gospel, taking a look at movies that help us understand a little more about what it means to live faithfully in the world today. And if you've seen Raya and the Last Dragon, you'll know that it's about a little girl, Raya, whose father tried to bring five divided nations together after generations of war and distrust. Raya and her father are the protectors of a special stone that holds back a powerful spirit that was unleashed hundreds of years earlier. It destroyed all dragons except for the last one, named Sisu, leaving folks frightened, suspicious, and at war with one another. 
But Raya's dad wants to change all that. He wants to end the division and distrust. So he invites all the leaders of these nations together for a unity meal. And it all seems to be going pretty well. Raya has made friends with a girl about her age named Namari. And now Namari is the daughter of the leader of Fang, or Fang, the most cunning and fierce tribe of them all. But she and Raya hit it off. They share a love for nerding out on dragon lore and especially our fangirls of Zisu. And after Namari shares an ancient map with Raya, Raya decides to share something too. The location of the special stone. As soon as they enter the heavily guarded room cave where it's held, Namari tries to steal it and sends a signal to the people of Fang that she's in. Next thing you know, the stone is broken, all of the nation leaders snatch what they can, and the ancient spirit of destruction is unleashed. It quickly overtakes most of the people, including Raya's own father, and turns them into stone. As the movie unfolds, you see how these childhood choices and events have gone on to shape the adult lives and mentalities of both Raya and Namari. Raya struggles to trust anyone, anywhere, while Namari doubles down on the choice that she made, even as you can see it creating a deep divide within herself. The journeys of these two would have continued along with these antagonistically parallel tracks if it wasn't for the disruptive hope brought by a newly revived Zisu, the last dragon. Zisu had an unrelenting belief that restoration is possible, and in the way that only a Disney sidekick can, boisterously goads Raya and the ragtag crew into reuniting and reconciling with Namari. It is not a simple reunion, nor it is a cheap is it a cheap reconciliation. It costs a lot for both of them. Trust, pride, and the belief the way, that the way things were is not the way things have to be. And it's all of this, but especially that last part, the belief that the way things are is not the way things have to be, is why we heard Peter and not Judas rallying the people in Acts 1. Now, if you're familiar with Peter's story, then you'll know that he denies knowing Jesus several days later. And Peter gets the opportunity, though, for restoration. He finds himself sharing a meal of grilled fish with the resurrected Jesus on the lakeshore one early morning. The passage says, When they finished eating... Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Simon replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, take care of my sheep. He asked a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was sad that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he replied, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I assure you that when you were younger, you tied your own belt and walked around wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and another will tie your belt and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus invites Peter into a reconciled relationship, but it will cost him. He tells Peter, the time has come for you to commit. No more playing. If you're in this, then you have to be in it. So will you feed my lambs? Will you take care of my sheep? Will you love me? It is a truth-telling conversation that not only calls Peter out, but also calls him in. And by this, 
Peter knows that he is restored in relationship with Jesus and that his story isn't over. But Judas, <sighs> Judas, he couldn't see a way back. He couldn't believe that this could be fixed in any way. Maybe his humiliation at being duped was so overwhelming. The shame of betraying someone who he loved deeply was so staggering. The contempt with which his community would hold him so powerful, no matter whether it was one of these or all of these or something else altogether, Jesus, Judas could see no way forward. And so instead of pushing forward to see what could be, if there could be a next chapter, he ended his story right there. Who knows what kind of restoration Jesus had in mind for him? If that moment on the beach was for Peter, what tender, delicate, truth-telling, love-infused conversation could have been had for Judas? For Namari, restoration ended up taking place over a series of smaller moments, opportunities to show up and keep on showing up, even when she didn't always do it well. It was a chipping away of toxic self-reliance and isolation that she had convinced herself was protection. For Raya, it was made possible by community engage of encouragement, friends who urged her to see beyond what she could see. But for both of them, it was an act of faith and trust that the way things are is not the way things have to be. Peter, whose own journey of grace and tender redemption should have taught him better, and his anxiousness to harness the momentum of Pentecost turned Judas into a prop for a kind of salvation that Jesus never intended. Gone are the grand reversals of Jesus's ministry that confounded our instincts, lifted up the lowly, and confronted us with our prejudices. Nowhere in Peter's message is the grace, justice, and redemptive work that saturates the Gospels. Instead, what we get is Peter turning Judas into a cautionary tale. He was so eager to get the church off the ground that he quickly threw Judas under the bus and forgot his own journey of restoration and salvation. It happens to the best of us, but let's call it what it is. A missed opportunity and the groundwork for Christians who use scripture to clobber and justify our own judgments. What if, instead, Peter's message to that fragile collective of people was this? Your story isn't over. Whatever you have done, whoever you have denied, however you've been hurt, now is the beginning of something good and whole and love-infused. Come, come and be part of it. If you do, the world will never be the same. That is the invitation which Jesus extended to Peter and extends to everyone and to us today. But he never got to offer it to Judas, at least on this side of the veil because Judas didn't think it was possible for someone like him. Maybe you have done something or denied someone or broken a trust that seems impossible to restore. Whatever you have done, whatever you have left undone, however you've been hurt, understand this, you can never go so far that you can't come back home. And there is no place you can go that is beyond the reach of God's love and restoration. Wherever you are, on the journey to healing, whether the wound is raw and open or just scabbed over, know this, your story is not over. That wound will one day heal and become a scar, and that scar will become a story, and that story will help someone else to heal 
Now it'll cost you. It will cost you like it cost Peter. It will cost faith and commitment and trust, but it also means that you matter, that God is not finished with you. And that as we like to say here, here at UVC, no matter where you are on your journey, you are welcome. You may have been the good guy or the bad guy or the in-between guy, but you have yet to determine what you will be. Your story doesn't have to be over. Your story is not over. So come, come and be part of something good and whole and real and honest and love infused. Begin the next chapter of life. And if you do, if you do, the world will never be the same. Now we rarely slash never do altar calls at Urban Village Church, but I want to invite you to begin that next chapter. If you are ready to commit or recommit or just want to make those first step forwards to being part of something good and whole and love-infused and honest and real, to be part of God's bigger story of restoration, wherever you are on your journey, I want to invite you to come forward at the end of this sermon, to reach out to me or to any of the pastors at Urban Village Church because we want to help you take that step of beginning a new chapter. Or you can head to our online connect card at bitly UVC, capital U-V-C-C, connect. And in that prayer request box, say that you would like to begin a new chapter. Friends, your story is not over. It's just beginning. And I can't wait to see what comes next. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you have a new next chapter for each one of us. That the wrongs of our past, whether we have been responsible for them or not, do not define our future. And so help us in this present to make a choice to turn toward that future. To not let our past hold us back but to move forward with honesty, with accountability, with realness about who we are, who we have been, and with trust and belief in who we can be because of you. Help us to live these lives and help us to help each other live these lives, not only for ourselves, but for a world that needs ever more examples of restoration, of healing, and of new possibilities infused in your vision of wholeness of life for all. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, who writes that next chapter and invites us toward it. Amen.